Good morning. Good morning. And uh, the Lord reminds us when two or more are gathered in his name that, that he will be there. So we just qualify. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, but we know that um, you know, we've got a number of folks that are not feeling well today and some that end up getting exposed uh, on Christmas, so they, they can't be with us. So our prayers will be with them. Charge. That's my phone. I've just got a text message. <laughs> Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of year. When we, were, when we celebrate the birth of your Son, the coming of our Lord. So, Heavenly Father, let us remember that, that that is the focus of our season, that the gift that you gave, that you were willing to come, put you, make yourself into a human, and live a life that was full of the same temptations and sufferings and challenges as that we all hit, yet you could still do them perfectly. <laughs> Lord, you gave us the example, and we know we can never meet it, but we can always strive to try. So, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for the gift of your Son. And may we always remember why you did that, that ultimately was for our saving. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship our Lord. Good morning. Wow, we really are slim. Well, I'm up here by default because, you know, Bonnie usually does this, and then when Bonnie can't read, then Linda does it, and then uh, they called last night and said, well, since Linda won't be here because she's got a sore throat, well, then Robert will do it, and then now, so here I am. <laughs> so this is for December 27th, and this is the Billy Graham Hope for Each Day. God's wisdom, how unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. The end of another year is approaching, and people are already predicting what the new year holds. A year from now, most of them will probably have missed the great target. The fact is, no one knows the future except God. We even know so little about the world in which we live no doubt, scientists will continue to uncover astonishing facts about the universe. But even then, they will know only a minuscule amount compared to the total sum of potential knowledge. But God is infinite. He knows it all because he created it in the first place. We will always be bewildered and confused by what we don't know if we are honest. We don't even know our immediate future, said James. You do not know what will happen tomorrow. What should this mean? It should give us humility before God, and it should give us trust, trust in God, who does know our futures, who works all things for his glory. You can trust all your tomorrows to him. So the hope for today, we don't need to fear the unknown or worry about what tomorrow holds. God has already seen tomorrow, and nothing is unknown to him. We just need to follow him one 
day at a time. Be careful, we'll take you two out of the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy's going, I'm standing.
Scripture today comes from Isaiah 61, verses 10 through 62, 3. I am overwhelmed with the joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me with the robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom in his wedding suit or a bride with her jewels. The sovereign Lord shows his justice to the nations of the world. Everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in the early spring with plants springing up everywhere. Because I love Zion, I will not keep still. Because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I cannot remain silent. I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like the burning torch. The nations will see your righteousness. World leaders will be blinded by your glory. And you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. The Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see a splendid crown in the hand of God. And if you'd like to stand as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into salvation, <clears throat> for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Oh, the days are hastening. 
Testament reading today <clears throat> comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses, after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And he had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the, Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about them. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died, but she had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth and Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. We have a responsive reading. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation, give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet the joy of the coming of Jesus Christ, Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we celebrate this great gift, the gift of your son who came, 
would become a man, would, be, would grow as a man, and die as our Savior. Lord, we remember this, we honor this, we know all belongs to you and that we are only given what you know that we can, what we can handle. But you call us also to give back, to share with others, to share with others that are not so fortunate. Some know you and some do not, Lord. And we want to help more people come to know you. And those and all of us that do know you want to know more. So Lord, we ask that the gifts we give may be blessed and be used for the purpose of coming to know you better. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. <laughs> Good thing you got your seats early. <laughs> no, yeah, that's it. Yeah, we're distancing. <laughs> well, the Lord is good, isn't he? It's a great time of year. I really, um, I really love Christmas. I love the celebration. Uh, uh, we had a great time with family and so on. It was, it was really fun to be together. We haven't seen my kids since really since Thanksgiving. We saw them kind of at a distance, and so this was really special for us to see Matt and Kirsten. So, and it, you know, the amazing thing is that Christmas is. Um, um, earlier, where I was uh, shared with you about that there were 67 times that um, the Jesus film was shown on Turkish television on like four or five different secular stations um, in Turkey. And I've, I'm always amazed that we, every year we would go about, um, we usually, first part of November, we'd be there. And I was always amazed that you go into shopping centers. And it'd be all decorated with, you know, the trees would be decorated and be all uh, Christmas decorations. And there'd be Christmas songs playing over, you know, in, the, in a huge mall, playing over the loudspeaker, you know. And they didn't know the words, but just, you know, just that, um, just to have the, that music, you know. And certainly a lot of people did know the words. And it was just a blessing that, that Jesus is glorified all over the world this time of year, um, you know, this, I mean, it really is amazing that God does that. Well, I want to talk to you today about um, what we call the Magnificat. Uh, that's kind of the, you know, the, the um, name that's been given to it. And the, the scene is, it's the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and tell her, tells her she's going to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit and get to, this, to the Son of the Most High. And so Mary, uh, who's living in Nazareth, are we up? Yep, we're good. Mary, who's living in Nazareth, goes uh, to see her cousin Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea. It's actually quite a, quite a long ways away. When she gets there, John the Baptist, who's in, uh, Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy, and John the Baptist, who is in her womb, jumps for joy, and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesies. And Mary's response then is what we call the Magnificat. And there's some really beautiful things that we find in this Magnificat that I think um, speaks a whole lot of the kingdom of God. So 
the Magnificat then is only recorded in Luke's gospel, and it's one of four hymns that we see in the gospel of Luke um, that came from a early Christian, Jewish Christian canticles. And the songs are Mary's Magnificat, Zacharias, when, when Zacharias uh, um, prophesies, it's called the Benedictus. The angels uh, sing glory and excelsis Deo that we, that we sing every Christmas. And then Simeon's Nunc Dimittis. So uh, these four hymns then are inserted in, and we don't know whether Luke wrote those hymns or whether um, you know, they were inserted by Luke in this, in this context. But let's read it. Um, a text is found in Luke's, Luke uh, 1, beginning verse 46. And Mary said, now remember, the occasion is, um, she's, just, she's just entering in, the first time she sees Elizabeth, and this is, the, this is what she says, this is what she gives, as soon as she sees Elizabeth. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. And then verses 51 through 53 uh, is what we're going to be concentrating on this morning. Uh, and it's this contrast of the kingdom of God and life in the kingdom and, and the kingdom of this earth. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost Thoughts. So the kingdom of God, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost hearts. That's the kingdom of this world. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. <clears throat> the kingdom of God, but has lifted and has but has lifted up. I'm sorry. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. That's the kingdom of this earth. And then he has lifted up the humble is the kingdom of God. He has filled the hungry with good things in the kingdom of God, but has sent the rich away empty. And so this contrast then of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this earth. That's what we want to talk about. Now the amazing thing to me, let's, let's pray as we begin. Lord, we just commit this time into your hands. I pray that you'll speak to each and every one of our hearts. Thank you for your word that brings life, that brings joy. Thank you for this beautiful time of year when we celebrate your birth, when we celebrate that Jesus came to earth to provide salvation. And we do pray, Lord, for, this, for this, uh, this country. Father, your word will go forth mightily across this land. And we pray this morning that your word will go forth mightily in our hearts as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. The amazing thing to me is that God, you know, when you think about this, God entrusts the salvation of the world into a little baby. I, I mean, you know, that's faith. <laughs> that, you know, that this helpless little baby, God entrusts that not only the salvation of this world, but the coming kingdom. Everything rests upon this little tiny baby born in a manger to a teenage girl in the land of Israel. I mean, she had to have been pretty young. We don't know how young she was, but probably a teenager at that time. She wasn't strong or rich or influential, and yet the creator of the universe entrusted her 
with burying a little tiny baby that would be ruler of the world, the coming king. To me, that's pretty incredible. Because we see right from the beginning there was opposition to his birth. Um, I imagine being a small town that, that there was a lot of gossip going around Nazareth at that time. <laughs> and when, when Mary said, I've had a miraculous conception, and I'm sure that, you know, she's engaged to be married, and she says, I've, I've, I've got a miraculous conception. I'm sure that the town didn't buy that. <laughs> and so I'm sure there was, there was opposition, and that, that may have been part of the reason that she went to see her cousin Elizabeth. And then Caesar Augustus um, <clears throat> orders a census be taken, and so Joseph and Mary have to travel to Bethlehem, which is quite a ways away. And she's in her last, you know, <clears throat> right, right about to give birth, and she has to travel all that way. And then the three, when the th three wise men come to Bethlehem, they told King Herod that a child had been born in Bethlehem who was born king of the Jews. And so Herod lies to the three wise men, and he says, you know, when you find out where he is, come back and tell me. And so um, they say, oh, that sounds like a great idea. Well, they get down there, and God speaks to them not to do that. But Herod goes into, uh, after... Um, the Lord appears to Joseph. Joseph and Mary and Jesus go down into Egypt after Jesus is born. And then Herod goes into Bethlehem and kills all the young boys under two years old. So right from the beginning, and then all through the ministry of Jesus, we see incredible opposition to Jesus. From the Jewish leaders, from, from, every, from every, every which way. So, what we see then is in this Mary's Magnificat, we see a reversal of the values of this world. And Jesus came not just to as incarnated, God incarnated into human flesh, but God was making a statement of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is, is totally different. It's a total reversal of the values of this world. And that's what we're seeing in this. Um, in verse 48, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, Mary says. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. And then, then she begins, as we talked about before, she begins to talk about and, and contrast God's kingdom with the kingdom of this world. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has lifted up the humble. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. And so we see this, this reversal of the values of this world. Leon Morris, a commentator about this section, says this. This section of the song tells of a complete reversal of human values. It is not the proud or the mighty or the rich with whom is the last word, he turns human attitudes and orders of society upside down. So when Jesus comes in as this little tiny baby, he's actually turning, just turning the whole world on its head. I mean, it's just totally upside down. And everything about the kingdom of God is backward to the world of human values and attitudes and character and worldview. 
The two sets of values are like water and oil. They don't mix. They don't, that's why Jesus said you had to be born again to enter the kingdom of God because it's a totally different kingdom, has totally different values. We see this um, also portrayed in Hannah's prayer. Now Hannah was, during the time of the judges in Israel, before God answered the cry of the Israelites for a king. Okay, this is, so this is pre-monarchy, uh, pre-Saul becoming king. This was before that. And the Israelites were crying out for a king. The Ark of the Covenant was in Shiloh. And Hannah, the second most beloved wife of Elkanah, could not bear children. She was barren. So she went with her husband to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice at the Lord's temple. And she was praying. She says this. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the, for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. That is, he would be a Nazarite. He would be separated unto the Lord as a Nazarite. Now, that little child then, that little boy, was Samuel, and Samuel was the great prophet to the nation of Israel during that day. And so she then, after um, Samuel is born then, she goes for the dedication on the eighth day. She had, uh, little Samuel had to be dedicated in Shiloh. And so this is the prayer that she prayed at the dedication of Samuel. 1 Samuel 2.4, the bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Notice the contrast. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has many sons, and she, but she who has had many sons, pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not, now this, this is the phrase, it is not by strength that one prevails, but those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. And so the punchlines in this really are, he humbles and he exalts. God both humbles those who try to exalt themselves, and God exalts those who humble themselves. And he says, it is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. So at the birth of Jesus then, we see both this incarnation, but we also see this incredible reversal of the kingdom of God. And Jesus came in, ushering in the kingdom of God to earth, and ushering in a whole new, a whole different, a whole higher concept and values and attitudes and so on. So God is making a point in the birth of Jesus that it is not the strong who will prevail, 
It's interesting to me that this little baby is born in a manger in a little obscure place in Be called Bethlehem. It was a very small town at that time. And Jesus is born in this little town, a little tiny baby, the ruler of the universe. And God is making a point. Those who were hungry, those who were barren, the empty grave, the humble, the poor, the needy, all of those are lifted up in God's kingdom because God cares for those who are on the bottom. And I think that's incredible that we have a God. You know, so many religions of the world, they, you know, it's the, the ones on top, and they're exalted. But God comes along, and God says that those on the top are now on the bottom, and those on the bottom are now on the top. That's what the kingdom of God does. God turns the value system of this world totally upside down. Because the kingdom of God is totally different from the kingdoms of this earth. And we live in a world where it's often the strong, the wicked, the one who is exalted, who rules over the weak, the oppressed, and the helpless. And, you know, let's face it. Our culture and the cultures of the earth lift up the person who's on top. We lift up the, you know, the influential, or, you know, how many times do you see television programs and so on, and it's, it's all talking about, especially the gossip columns, talking about the wealthy and the famous and so on. And Jesus comes along and Jesus says, no, I'm not looking to them. I'm looking to the one on the bottom. God turns our weakness into strength. And there's something in us that recoils at the injustice of, of this world and its system. Isn't that right? I mean, there's something in us that says, you know what? It's not those on top. It's not the wealthy. It's not, you know, they're not the ones. It's those who have character. Those who are on the bottom. Those who have compassion one for another. Those who care about their neighbors and so on and so forth. I. Howard Marshall said this. The coming of the kingdom of God should bring about a political and social revolution. Bringing the ordinary life of mankind into line with the will of God. And that's what that Jesus' birth is making a statement. God is making a statement. It's that Jesus came in humility and weakness the first time. When he comes back again, it's not going to be like that. But Jesus came in weakness. Jesus came in obscurity, in humility, in order to make a point that God honors those on the bottom. So what's the result then of this complete reversal of values in the kingdom of God? It's this, that entrance into the kingdom of God is not through human attainment or through religious merit, but only through faith in Christ. We enter through humility and confession of our need, not through our natural goodness. And God is making, again, making a statement that entrance into the kingdom of God is not by doing good things and being the, you know, good people, so to speak. It comes through our own natural weakness. Mark 10.15, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. How do little children, little children, the wonderful thing about little children is that they're just full of faith. And they're convinced that the world is the greatest place. You know, and their parents are, you know, are, are kings and queens. I mean, they're, you know, they, 
that's just how they think. And he says we've got to enter the kingdom of God like a little child. In that kind of humility, that kind of trust, that we look to God and we say, God, you are incredible. You're my daddy. Romans 10.8 says, what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So entrance into the kingdom of God is through humility. But we also see in the kingdom of God the reversal of our thought life. God's thoughts and God's ways are totally different from our thoughts and our ways. Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So as those who have entered into the kingdom of God, then there is a total reversal then of our thought patterns. I know when I first became a Christian, and I've mentioned this before, I had to start from the beginning. I knew nothing of what it meant to be a Christian. Because I'd grown up, yes, I'd grown up in church, but I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know, I didn't think I knew any Christians. And so when I came to Christ, I had to start from the beginning and just totally relearn as a little child. Um, I know, you know, <coughs> I've had to uh, learn a number of languages, uh, in many of them as an adult, and it's really humiliating. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it's humility. You, you know, you're someplace and you're trying to express yourself and you can't think of the words, you know, and so you've got to humble yourself. Well, in that same kind of way, in the kingdom of God, we've got to start all over again. It's, it's like we're going into a foreign country, isn't it? How many of you have, you know, been in other countries, spoken in other languages and so on? All right. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's hard. And I think of the entrance into the kingdom of God and learning in the kingdom of God the same way. We go in as little children. We don't know anything. Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Your ways, my ways, sorry. Declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So not only are the thoughts of God differently, different from ours, but they're higher. You know, much of this world, there's, you know, it's very popular these days that, you know, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And, you know, and we all, all value systems and all thoughts are on an equal plane. And in God's kingdom, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. They're better than our ways. His ways are better than our ways. And so we are not only replacing thought patterns, but we're replacing them on a higher plane. This world, there's no absolute truth. But in the kingdom of God, there's an absolute ruler, there's absolute truth. <laughs> and it's not up, it's not up for vote. Okay, put it that way. God is God, and we are not. Third thing is that it's a reversal of the concept of character. 
And I love the, um, the, what's called the Beatitudes in Matthew. And this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so we see in this then, this reversal of values. God blesses those who are poor in spirit. Now, those who are poor in spirit are not blessed in this world. I mean, you know, in, in our world system. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are, those, are the meek. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Merciful, who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers, who are persecuted, insulted, and slandered. It's absolutely, it's absolutely opposite to the ways of this world. God blesses and uses the weak, not the strong. God turns our weakness into his strength. And that's the meaning of the kingdom of God, is that we go in as little children, learning, starting all over again, and God begins to teach us in our weakness, and because of our weakness and our dependence on him, we just like little children, we're looking to God, God, show us how to live. It's not just that the poor, the oppressed, and the marginalized are blessed. They actually become the ones on top. Isn't that beautiful? That the ones who are on the bottom in this world often, and we as Christians, a lot of times, we're on the bottom run, aren't we? We're at the bottom of the food chain. (laughs) And, And yet God takes those very people and says in the end, they're going to rule. They're going to be ones, the ones in the kingdom. The, the poor in spirit and those who mourn and so on. And the poor in spirit inherit the kingdom. The mourners are comforted. The meek inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are filled. <coughs> the merciful are shown mercy. The pure in heart see God. The peacemakers are called sons of God. The persecuted inherit the kingdom of God. The insulted, the persecuted, and those who are slandered have great rewards in heaven. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing that God does that? That's part of what Christmas is. Christmas is celebrating that God cares for the little person. And because he sent, you know, the the ruler of the world in in the form of a little tiny helpless baby, God's making a statement that I care for the downtrodden. I care for those on the bottom those who are slandered, and so on. Next thing is, it's a reversal of the concept of greatness. (coughs) And Jesus came to show us what greatness is. God is humble. Isn't that amazing? God is humble, even though he's the creator of the universe. (coughs) Mary had to endure humility and rejection by her hometown of Nazareth. (coughs) <coughs> excuse me, because she was a virgin, was to have a child, 
She wasn't exalted in the eyes of man at that time, but was humiliated to be pregnant out of wedlock. God wanted to demonstrate it that he uses even those who are the rejects of society and blesses them. There's a lady um, whom we've gotten to know. Um, and the next slide. Um, yeah. Um, and her, her name, she calls herself Ashukablisa. And Ashukablisa, which means um, it's the older sister of light. <laughs> doesn't make much sense in, in English, but that's, that's what it is in Turkish. And she's a girl who, she was born in Istanbul, Turkey, raised in a Muslim home. She entered college when she was 16 and earned a bachelor's degree in literature, bachelor's degree in literature followed by an advanced business degree. She was working in high-ranking executive positions for some of the largest corporations in Turkey, traveled throughout Europe, but the problem was she had a lousy marriage, and she had a, a husband who was abusive and was very violently abusive to her. So she finally realized that she had to flee, and so she fled to the, the U.S. And to get away from her husband after he had tried to kill her. After years of struggling to start her career all over again in a foreign country, failing in many areas of her personal life, she fell into a deep depression and became suicidal. And she went from up here uh, to way down here. And she was suicidal. She was uh, thinking of taking her own life. And, and she tells her story. And she says that I was... Um, <coughs> she was... Um, at one point, <coughs> she was in a car, and I believe it was a, with another man here in America, and she realized that, that she just had to get out. And so she got out of the car um, and started walking down the freeway. And she was, she was just totally suicidal. She thought her life was over. It was all done. And, and she's walking along, and some guy pulls up in a car and says, get in. And she says, sure, I don't have anything to lose. She gets in. Well, it turns out the guy's a Christian, takes her home, and her family starts to minister to Ashokablisa, and she becomes a Christian. And so she went one day from planning to end her life, and she had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And she received supernatural healing, redemption, and her life began to change radically. And so um, she began to, you know, she said, I'm going to devote my life to Jesus. I'm going to do whatever Jesus wants. And this woman has been used mightily in Turkey, um, has just over and over again, um, she has a, a television program that she, you know, and it's a call-in program, so she shares her testimony or so on. And, and then, she, and then uh, people call in and people just left and right are coming to Jesus Christ through a shikablisa. This, this, this girl who was suicidal at the bottom, and God has brought her up and lifted her up and exalted her, so that when she goes into Turkey, it's like everywhere she goes, she's a, she's a rock star throughout the whole country of Turkey. It's really amazing. She actually ended up um, marrying an American guy, and uh, we've met her a couple times. And 
but what it shows us is how God uses the very, you know, the humble. God uses those on the bottom in a mighty way. That's just the way God does it. So what we're saying is God can use you. We're all, you know, there's none of us mighty and noble and so on. God can use us. Philippians 2.5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, <coughs> taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, <coughs> he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Jesus' poverty, insignificance, obscurity, God uses that and makes that very person, in the end, will be the ruler of the whole universe. Not only that, but the whole concept of spiritual growth is turned on its head. We grow in Christ through admitting our weaknesses and asking God to show us how to live. We grow through discovering that it is God's mercy not our goodness that enables us to grow to become more like him. So we come to him in, in desperation, really. Let me read this quote. I love this. This is my utmost for his highest. How many of you have read through my utmost for his highest? Oswald Chamber. You haven't, uh, I'd recommend it for this year. You can get it on, you know, you can get it on Amazon or wherever. Um, <clears throat> but a marvelous uh, little devotional, 365 days of of uh, what Oswald Chambers has to say. And he says this, I will give my life to martyrdom. I will dedicate my life to service. I will do anything. But do not humiliate me to the level of the most hell-deserving sinner and tell me that all I have to do is accept the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. We have to realize that we cannot earn or win anything from God through our own efforts. It's not through our own efforts that we become, quote, good people. We must either receive it as a gift or do without it. The greatest spiritual blessing we receive is that when we come to the knowledge that, I'm, I'm sorry, the greatest spiritual blessing we receive is when we come to the knowledge that we are destitute. And I think this is not only in our initial entrance into the kingdom of God, but it's in every stage of growth. We, we, we come to the place where we're destitute, where we say, I can't do it. I need you, Jesus. And then we can begin to grow in that area. Until we get there, our Lord is powerless. He can do nothing for us as long as we think we are sufficient in and of ourselves. We must enter into his kingdom through the door of destitution. As long as we are rich, particularly in the area of pride or independence, God can do nothing for us. It is only when we get hungry spiritually that we receive the Holy Spirit. The gift of the essential nature of God is placed and made effective in us by the Holy Spirit. He imparts to us the quickening life of Jesus, making us truly alive. He takes that which was beyond us and places it within us. And that's our power, is that we have Christ living within us and because Christ lives within us, we can begin to grow. So, what does this mean to our lives today? Well, the first thing is you don't have to be strong. 
all right? You do not, God did not call us to be strong. God called us to be weak in dependence upon Him. It's like that little child that we were talking about earlier. And that little child um, is strong because he or she is in Daddy's lap. And she's only as strong as Daddy is, and we are only as strong as our Daddy is. And we have to learn not how to be strong people, but we need to learn how to depend upon the one who has ultimate strength. The weak are exalted. Jesus takes us just as we are in our weakness with all our faults. We enter the kingdom of God through destitution, not through achievement, religion, or perfection. So God doesn't call us to be religious people. God calls us to depend upon him, to trust in him, to believe in him, to put all of our weight in him. Matthew 11, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's the key to growing in Christ, is that we come to Christ, we who are weary and burdened, and we seek the rest of Jesus Christ. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. We don't continue through religion. We grow through humility and trust. I think it's interesting. All the Billy Graham crusades, they would always end, well, what was the last thing in the Billy Graham crusade? <clears throat> Go ahead, tell me. Last thing, last thing was George Beverly Shea singing Just As I Am. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. Remember? And they all ended the same. It was always George Beverly Shea, and it was always Just As I Am. And, and I, you know, I was thinking about that as I was preparing this sermon, that Billy Graham's making a point. And we come to Christ not in strength, but we come in weakness. We grow in him not through strength, but through weakness, dependence upon him. Well, let's go back to our text. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. What did Mary have? She had trust. She said, I'm nothing. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. What God wants from you is is your dependence upon him. 1 Corinthians 1 says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think not of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standard. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God uses us, the foolish people of this world, the weak people of this world, to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world. That's us. Sorry, folks and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. So the good news that we celebrate at Christmas is, is, yes, the incarnation of God becoming man, but also God making a statement that it's the person on the bottom. 
He loves us not because we're strong, not because we're mighty, not because we're rich. He loves us because we come to him in dependence. Lord, I need you. And we seek greatness in the kingdom of God through humility. Jesus didn't come in strength, but in weakness. He didn't come on a white charger, but on a donkey. He came in weakness so that he could redeem those who are weak, discouraged, downcast, and poor in spirit. He reached down to us. He took up our sins on his shoulders. Jesus didn't come in strength because he came to those who are weak. He can identify with those who need a Savior. He was both triumphant and slain. He triumphed through his weakness. The event of his humiliation became the springboard for his triumph. The cross led to the resurrection. And that's what we have. That's a message that we have to give to this world. Is that it's not your strength. Jesus didn't come, come to call us to be, to be religious, to be good religious people. God called us to depend upon him, to trust in him, to love him, to have faith in him who is strong. And the good news is that in the end, he does come on that white charger. And those who are weak and those who are humble and those of us who are, who are, who are on the bottom, we're going to rule the nations. Isn't that incredible? We're going to be on top. But it's not because we tried to climb up there. It's because we depended on the one who in humility came to this earth. The kingdom of God was ushered in through Mary, a teenage girl in Israel, who became miraculously pregnant. Her son Jesus came as a humble, gentle lamb of God. The humble son of God came to those who will humble themselves, admit their weakness, accept the gift of salvation by faith. That is the message we have to take to this world. It's not your strength, it's your weakness. Thank you.
you've done we thank you for giving your son we know that you look to the humble that we cannot really come to you unless we come to you as a child with faith and trust and knowing that you're there Lord that you will be there you will protect us you will guide us you will lead us Lord so let us be those children let us be those young ones young again <laughs> we may see you and trust in you as you would have us do this we ask in jesus name amen god be with us till we meet